Well, we have we have three delivery people here uh, in the Netherlands in Amsterdam. You got you got FedEx, of course. Yeah. Except the only reason I ever get a FedEx thing is because someone from my company has sent something. So FedEx contracts. Yeah. Definitely. Well, now it you know we get a lot of uh, we get a lot of like you know little uh, team things. So I have I have a thing here from FedEx that I missed that had had some valuable team building. Wait, things. wait, wait. Oh, we Hibben Ujemist. Well, you might want to guess what language that's in. <laughs> <laughs> Swahili. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but you know we got so you got FedEx right. So they are the least often delivered. Always from California. They only come from California. And then you got, uh, as as for some reason, was this in the 2000s? Someone thought it would be a good idea to call them brown. You have a UPS. And oh, yeah. I no, no actually, UPS I, over here. Yeah. I actually see them every now and then. You know, their truck has actually been on the street. But you also know if it's the UPS van, something from America. Like, I don't ah, know. Ah, okay. And There's then, no UPS here. Yeah. Yeah. And then the one who delivers almost daily to our house, DHL. Like oh, I, I, yeah. sh- I should know because there's two DHL delivery drivers and I see them around the neighborhood and we're always like, Hey, how's it going? And, uh, I used to be really good friends with another delivery person, uh, that we don't see anymore. I think he was a DHL person. Oh no, he delivered for this company called GDS or something, but, uh, it is, you know, and then we had some groceries delivered today, uh, which is nice. And I, I have to say grocery delivery feels like a triumph of digital transformation, <laughs> just, like I, I you know i my my high school friend josh he lived in uh well no he doesn't silly he lived in um new york i don't know brooklyn for a long time i, I think it was brooklyn yeah he would have said i would remember if he said the other b1 the other b borough but you know you know how it is when when someone you know goes initially to live in new york or san francisco and they're like well actually he wasn't that bad but you know it's sort of like there's lots of delivery stuff <laughs> back in, in the city yeah, there's lots of delivery stuff in New York because it's like super dense and uh, makes yep. sense. But I don't think grocery delivery is like normal unless you're in like 1952 or something. And so it is uh, It is pretty astonishing to get a full load of groceries delivered. Uh, so that's really all I wanted to say is I appreciate grocery <laughs> delivery. No, but like I think Kote, <laughs> the question I would have for that is, you know, there's all the people talking about uh, like DoorDash, like the... You know, meal on demand, but it seems yeah. like people are discovering Uber Eats, DoorDash, all of them, that that is not a good business model because the mm. the 30% tariff or tax they put on top of the meal is basically too, exp- like, you know, if it's just like you're not willing to absorb that as the consumer. And then yeah, the yeah. restaurants, the smaller restaurants can't absorb that kind of uplift. So it's just like a money losing business. So people kind of predict. So what I think yeah. what you're saying is like it feels like grocery. Grocery bill is usually more expensive, right? If you do like a big load, right? You kind of typically, I don't know. I think most people, right, try to schedule it so you have like a certain minimum you're hitting, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe yeah, that's yeah. going to be the long lasting thing is that small, like whatever you know, meal delivery isn't going to happen. But the the big winners here are big grocery well, deliveries. Yeah. I, well, I, I think I was going to say I think that the the meal delivery stuff will probably get sorted. I mean, at least here. Here I'm starting to see pushback against Uber Eats and, you know, you're starting to see local competitors who are like, you know what, if, uh, you know, rather than give everybody give Uber Eats a 30% cut, we'll come in and do a 15% cut 
and you know it becomes more of a less of a profit seeking thing and more of a, a communal shared effort like I, there are a bunch of little tiny localized startups where you know you go to order the food and they're like this is delivered by the restaurant and then when you get it it's still like a doordash guy or you know the equivalent mm. but instead of uber eats who all the restaurants have decided they don't like it's you know the local competitor who charges less <laughs> so maybe uber will have a hard time saturating the planet and, and apparently their last quarter they lost 6.8 billion dollars so uber did yeah, they, uber in a quarter did. in a quarter yeah well i wow. think that's what's happening with all the a lot of these like you know whatever dining delivery places are just cannot make the financials work so i don't know so maybe right maybe the restaurants absorb the cost maybe just the business gets well gets I, I don't mind like different. you know five dollar delivery or something like that yeah. that's that's fine i the problem most of them have is they don't have a functional website that's the problem mm-hmm. right like I, I mean there are you know i we get takeout maybe twice a week and there are places we go that they don't have a web presence i literally last weekend when i i called phoned it in went and picked it up and I asked for a takeout menu. So I scanned their menu and put it up on Google maps. So when you go <laughs> and try to find that, you can at least see their menu online. Right. And, you know, I, I was like, do you guys do delivery? And they're like, no, delivery guy's sick. You know, it's like a member of their family. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, so many restaurants here went under, you know, with the COVID thing. And then, you know, everybody started ordering a lot more online and there was this uptake in, in Uber Eats. And then there was like a backlash against it where people stopped supporting Uber Eats. And, you mm-hmm. know, it opened a window for like cheaper competitors who maybe did less or, you know, their their websites weren't as good or they didn't handle the billing. But it's, I'm just saying, it's going to be hard for Uber Eats to get to profitability by gouging because, you know, their margins are someone else's, you know, opportunity. Yeah. You know, but, but if they, I mean, if they lost $6.8 billion last quarter, like it sounds like their prices are too low. Like, <laughs> like some, something's messed up with that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, I mean, man, we get flyers from restaurants every day through our mail slot, which is really annoying. Cause you know, usually often the baby's asleep and then the dog barks, of course, cause you know, she wants to like make sure we don't get junk mail. And uh, oof. we should just seal that mail slot shut and have, we need a silent doorbell that, that that would work out. But yeah, you know, I mean, just closing out on this absurd, not absurd, but this, this trivial opening topic. Yeah. I think, I think the, uh, does HEB deliver groceries? They, uh, does HEB, yes, they, That's... but most people, a lot of people are doing like, you know, the, um, like you drive, what is it? Like curbside curbside yeah, 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 no, yeah they don't do yeah. they don't do delivery curbside is you have to do um delivery through the third parties who i just forgot the yeah. name of it but you know it if i said it but uh i'd say yeah. curbside is what people do is most popular but again i don't know i, f- I often find it's not that convenient i'm just like eh, i i it. did i did some curbside pickup and and like i would imagine if i was back in austin like you know staying at home i would like relish the chance to have an excuse to leave the house <laughs> oh, well, one of my best friends be he said the only building he's been in since covid started was when he went to vote mm. and so you know he does curbside at heb you know every week uh everything else is delivery like he you know, lives with some immunocompromised folks and so it's just like you know we don't go anywhere we don't you know and so curbside's been a godsend but one of the things they have here is there's a lot more grocery stores but they're small you know, they're, they're not the, they're not the like yeah. you know, Uber, you know, ultra targets or, you know, 
crazy uh, HEBs. But uh, apparently a lot of them are becoming um, just kind of small storefronts with a huge delivery out of the back. And, oh, yeah. and that, you know, that model of, of dark kitchens is, is turning into the, the dark uh, grocery stores as well. I mean, the only problem, though, is like produce usually sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Back and, uh, correct myself yeah. real fast. So one, it was Instacart is what I was thinking. That's sort of the general, yeah. general one you can use yeah, anywhere. Yeah. And then um, one of uh, people in chat reminded me that HEB actually bought Favor. That was like that's an online favor would like deliver anything. Or I guess they would. I think they at one point they'd kind of do anything for you. Um, but do um, you a favor? Anyway, yeah, so favor. So HEB does actually have like a like I think they call it like the digital design center, or digital something here, Ooh. like digital delivery kind of uh, center, like in East Austin where they're hiring. They're building a lot of apps, and it's based around or maybe it started with the favor um, team. So. So I don't know, I, but I have to say, like, I have not personally done it. So I just, yeah, to your point, earlier point, it's, uh, yeah, the grocery store is like, is like an outing just to go walk around and feels like, I don't know if it's super safe, but like, you know, everyone's yeah. walking, you just do shopping. So, so yeah, yeah now we have it less than, uh, we need it less than ever, in my opinion. It's, it's one of the few places that's open around here, grocery stores and, uh, drugs, well, what we would call drug stores. And, Chemist. uh, yeah, they don't, I, I don't actually know what, but you know drug stores and then uh the market some of the market stuff you know the open air market stuff is still open but yeah i go to the the albert hein all the time just to sort of see what's going on just hang out probably you know go buy a croissant or something yeah yeah but you know i think i i again it's like very basic but just to close it out like i was realizing you know like last night kim sat down and and on at a web app filled out a bunch of groceries and then this dude comes to our house very friendly uh, at 10 this morning with a stack of things uh, gives us the groceries. And then I pay with my Apple pay phone on his like little handheld doodad. And it just feels like it's just digital transformation finally working for me. Hey everybody. It's me. Today's show is sponsored by strong DM working from home, managing a gazillion SSH keys, database passwords, and Kubernetes certs meet strong DM. Manage and audit access to servers, databases, and Kubernetes clusters, no matter where your employees are. With StrongDM, easily extend your identity provider to manage infrastructure access. Automate onboarding, offboarding, and moving people within roles with the click of a button. Trusted by companies like Hearst, Peloton, and SoFi to manage access, you'll have more control and less hassle. StrongDM, manage and audit remote access to infrastructure. Start your free 14-day trial at strongdm.com slash SDT, all uppercase. Again, that's strongdm.com slash SDT. No credit card required. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. Well, it looks like the electricity is back on, Brandon. So does that mean you have a power generator? One of those gigantic travel batteries uh that i have or is just the electricity back on how how's it going back there in austin yeah so here in austin we we did i guess it started briefly last week we had a short outage which is why i had an early exit from last week's show so thank you to both of you to carry hard on. stop frozen stop yeah, yeah hard <laughs> the stop. hardest of and stops. then um <laughs> sunday night uh it started you know this the power went out just like at night and got up and it was, it was quite cold in the morning but it just it started like one of those, like, well, this will just be like a down tree branch and like, it'll be back like in a few hours. 
Uh, but long story short, as maybe people have read, uh, lots of issues with the Texas grid and rolling blackouts that weren't rolling. So we went about three, almost four days here without any power. And uh, late, late last night, it started coming on in most of Austin. And I think this morning and mostly this afternoon, most people have, I think, some uh, semblance of power. But, you know, I think on a totally my fault, I think on a few episodes ago, I was talking some trash about about the East Coast and man, whew, karma. That was that went bad. So I want to apologize to everyone. But yes, it was a very humbling experience. Uh and it kind of brings me to like something I, I've been thinking about it during my kind of four days off of, <laughs> of solitude, just staring at the fire. Um, is this idea of the blameless postmortem. And I was just and my thoughts are like, it does this idea that we talk about, does it exist at all? Because as they're kind of unwinding like why this happened you know, the, the Texas grid is that it's, it's really a hundred percent about blame, right? That's the only thing people are focused <laughs> in on, like who's at fault. And I have to say, like, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, that's all I really want to know either. Like who yeah, and why yeah. did this happen? I am not interested. I am now interested going forward. Like, wh- like how can it be fixed? And I'm trying not to fall into the trap of, you know, the politicians I don't like, I'll just find reasons that it's their fault. And, you know, vice versa, and the things that I do like, <laughs> well, they, a lot of motivated went, reasoning. They all went to Cancun, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, but, but again, they make it hard, right? They're, they're, they're making it difficult to, like, maintain this idea of, like, now that we're past, not to pass it, but we're going to look into why it is. It's like, well, I don't want to just quickly say the people I already dislike, I'm just going to blame them. I was like, okay, like, just let's just get it worked out. But it just brought me back to, like, all all of the things that we talk about, like, and so many people advocate this idea of the blameless postmortem. I'm like, I don't think it works at all. Like you have to first assign blame, right? You have to do that to move to the next step. And there usually are consequences to someone, right? Like, I just don't see how, yeah. like, like the process can just not start. You cannot do that. And so it made me just think about as, as I see all this infighting already, like all these different competing explanations about why this massive outage happened. Um, I, I guess I understand why people are trying to fight off the blame because it is going to happen. Someone is going to get fired. There's going to be some kind of like consequences. I don't know what for someone. Um, and then once that's done, maybe, maybe the problem will be addressed. Although even then I'm a little skeptical. It feels like, you know, the message here is, uh, you need to be better prepared. You, the individual, need to be better prepared for these outages. That's mm. sort of what I think most people are taking away from it. Um, yeah. But I just, I don't know, Kote, I think you you do a lot of, um, you know, you're, you're thinking a lot about, you know, the management and the DevOps and blameless postmortem. So, like, am I wrong? Am I just, like, has this uh, Arctic blast uh, made me too cynical? Is the blameless postmortem really something that is widely used and I that that I should, like, have more faith in? Well, you know, Brandon, I think it's time we pour some cold water on the blameless postmortem. Is, is, <laughs> is there any available? Well, any, I, I think I think you know this is one one. This is this is this is sparking in my mind. This would be a good a good general area for like a, the the next little uh, report booklet that I would work on. I just turned in the fifty percent draft for the current one I'm doing, so I've got to you know immediately out of before I finish the other fifty percent, I got to start writing a new one. Oh sure, it's just when you know you know how it is when you're you're creating stuff. Once you've thought of it, it's as if you're you're done. You don't you're not yep. interested anymore. So, I think you know I think I think what we need is we need to have a, a five to twenty minute exposition from from a, a, an Andrew Clay Schaefer like who kind of contextualizes 
when blameless postmodems apply and what uh, what uh, that Nash guy has to do with anything to kind of like explain it. Because often with a blameless postmortem type of thing, the issue with finding fault with it is that you're using it way outside of the scope that it was intended to be used for. Now, that said, my one one comment I have is that I very rarely ever hear of an organization that uses blameless postmortems. They all kind of know yeah. about it. I've come well, across a few. Cool? Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> and then when that guy's going out the door with his box of stuff, he said, "What about blameless postmortems?" <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've I've talked to some people who do it here and there at like non tech companies, but I think I think the other thing is that going back to your original thing, and this is what would be the fun premise of a book, kind of the mixing of of DevOps and like. I think that I want to say most, I don't know the quantity, but let me speak in my hyperbolic way. I think that most organizations and systems that we're involved with each day are either driven by negative or negligent agents. And and the premise of a blameless postmortem is that, you know, we're all here to be friends, right? Like, we're all here trying to achieve a goal, right? And we know that working with each other and being virtuous, we will make more money than not, right? Like, yes. like whatever, we will achieve whatever goals we have, which is usually monetary. But, and this is one of the points that, and I don't know anything about, I think they call it the safety dance culture that all the people do nowadays based on that Tufty book about the Something Columbia about space hats. disasters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so like, I don't know anything about that stuff. It sounds awesome. Like we should bring in John Willis to talk about that. And uh, like, but I think the premise of, of that, that culture is that like, we want good. And I don't think that's the premise of most human activity no. in groups. And, well, and it, like, it, and, and again, it's not that we want bad. It's just that like, I want to go home. Right. It's just like, <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of money. I don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about this. I have no idea as a state how to quantify engineering risk. Uh, of things in the future, right? And and then, so you basically have, again, it's either a bunch of negative agents or negligent agents. It's not always a caustic culture. It's, de it's definitely negative agents. I mean, and, and, and an organization right, like right. A, a business, you've got everyone is there to make the business succeed because they know that the business creates revenue that, you know, ostensibly comes down right, 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 you know, right. back, trickles back down to to those of us who are you know shoveling coal yeah, yeah and and the difference between that and government is in government you have some people who believe that government is a force for good and some people who believe that they need to starve the beast because it takes their taxes right, 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 and you know right. is not is not showing them the value they think they deserve right and, 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 and so 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 i think i think in the con in this context right both commercial and and nonprofit like when you're operating in a bad system the you know the way that you you uh the way you defend yourself against bad things happening the way you advance in the bad system and also the way you just feel psychological safety is the wrong phrase for it, but there's something like psychological satisfaction, right? Like if you're existing mm -hmm. in a bad system, like you roll out the guillotines, right? <laughs> like, it's just like when, if it's full of bad actors who are always making your life hard and the instant, this is why I think in politics, hypocrisy is such a powerful tool. I always think hypocrisy is just like, 
it's kind of a I think a lot about like, especially with you now that you got, uh, you know, the the Republicans in the minority and like everyone's all like, oh, they're they're hypocrites or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, then what? Right. Like, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. what, what do we do now? Like that? That doesn't matter. <laughs> of course. Of course, the Republicans hate deficits now. Like, that's what they do. Right. It's like it's it's like if you're playing Monopoly and you land on Park Place and they have a hotel and you're like, oh, my God, now I have to pay you all this money. It's like, yes, that's. <laughs> That's, that's the way, the way it works, works. right? Yes. Like, so anyway, step maybe step off the politics because I think the politics it's easiest seen in politics. What you're talking yeah, about, yeah, the yeah, bad yeah. actors are yeah. very clear. But and now, I think you mentioned several of the thought leaders in this area, and I've seen a right. lot of the speeches, other people, and they give the talk about it. But I'm kind of starting to believe it's like no, no. It's like politics is easy to see, but human nature, like what we're describing here, is human nature, right? Yeah, yeah any yeah, yeah, large yeah. organization. Yeah of any size trying to accomplish any reasonably complex goal, right, is going to mirror much of this behavior. And I, I've started, this is, I guess, where I'm kind of like coming to is like that belief that like you can walk in and say, well, we should do blameless post-mortems and we should, uh, to your point, like we should not have the bad actors sort of, I mean, it's, it's almost like saying we should not have human nature, right? Like we shouldn't, like you're going to have lots of people yeah, but- competing, for uh, promotions or for money or sure. for status. And they will all adopt, they will all rationalize it, me included in this, right? Their behavior to then push their agendas. And, you know, you kind of get into this like, no, like I'm not going to absorb any blame for anything because that does not help me. And I'm going to deflect. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that is how, that's human nature. That is yeah, the essence yeah. of human nature. What, so, so in that area, I mean, what, an idea I play around a lot with, and again, whatever i'll stop disclaiming this but like i don't know anything about game theory and all that shit other than like you know long walks i've had with uh with andrew schaefer where he tries to explain it to me but like i'm pretty sure that if you are in a zero-sum situation then very quickly it goes to shit right like as far as collaboration right and and i think matt is right to point out that businesses are a little bit better but a business is inherently a zero-sum situation for the people involved right like the the i mean like i would like to get paid more but like the executives get paid a lot more than i do right and like you go i mean i don't i don't want to sound like a marxist but it's just like i'm pretty sure that executives at most company get paid more than they should get paid right like it's just like (laughs) happens right and yeah and and like you know, so you have this uh, congealing of wealth uh, up at the the top, and Wait, like congealed stuff doesn't trickle down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It floats <laughs> to the top, and and so and so. Wow, that worked out well. And so yeah. it's just like so. But I mean, most business enterprises are essentially zero sum things. Especially now, getting back to your the area you're talking about, Brandon. Like, if you're talking about various groups or various lines of business they are in a zero-sum game like they can be as as cooperative and whatever but ultimately every every quarter the company only has a limited amount of money to spend right and so you as as a business leader or a, a group leader you want to get as much of that money as possible right so any money that your peers do not get you get Right. Or you have the option of getting. So, I mean, that's a zero sum game in my mind. Right. And so that eventually starts to breed this thing of like, well, I would like more money. And so therefore, like I'm 
not really going to help out people. And but like, it, it, and when it's there's not zero sum though, because the, the business can grow the pie. Yeah, yeah. But then at that point, it's just like, you know, you want more of the, like, my whole point is that like, like, okay, we it, have, sure, we, it, it, if, if the company has, is like stagnating and not growing appreciably, right, 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 yeah, right. then you're closer to a zero sum game where, you know, you, Right, but even of, even of if even if you're if you're in a high growth company, all all of the hard chargers want to go work for the high, high growth part of it, right? Sure. Like no one wants to go work on power in IBM, I would assume. Right? <laughs> I thought like, you were like, saying power at ERCOT. Uh, no, like yeah, yeah. I feel like there's an opening to work on power here in Texas. But and, you know, so even if you have like growth, it still is like there's a limited set of there's a, a so, yeah, sort of resources that you're battling. But go, yeah. and but, so, but hold on, go one. So, one so in, that, in, that in that situation, right, the instant that one of your enemies, rivals, coworkers has some kind of weakness that you can yes. use to say they should not get that resource. I should get that yes. resource. Amen. You're going to, you're going to, you're yes. going to pounce on it right now you. that may be long-term and this is where all the game theory comes in. That may be long-term results in mutual destruction and annihilation and it's bad, but like we're humans. What the fuck do we care? Right? Like we don't think, we don't think in long terms, <laughs> well, like, but, but, but hold yeah. on, Matt, just but before you jump, let me just jump in real okay. quick here before so to your point, like about the growth companies. So I think, I don't think I'm breaking any news, but when you talk to, let's say many of the people that work for the very high growing companies that we're all familiar with, right. I often hear like when there's an outage of something that they're controlling, like if you're responsible for it, there's a lot of pressure to not turn that thing and say it's unavailable, right. That, that when you do that inside, even these very large, high growth, very profitable entities, that is a major sign of, you know, basically career risk, right? When you say like this thing is down, right? So I'm, and these, all these companies are doing well. You know, everyone can just like think of the names they want. I think, I think we can all say like I know of examples of where this is going on in all the places. And so even in the places that we deem to be the best and the, the most profitable, right? I think they have this pressure more than more so than almost anyone, right? And I don't think, you know, internally now i don't know what they say now there's always the company line and then there's kind of what you hear in the back channels that is very different so so even if those high growth companies aren't like embracing this blameless post-mortem idea then i'm sort of like why does it you know i don't think anyone can really use it the only people that are really talking about it or is it makes a good ted talk right it's like an aspirational thing like i would like to live in a world of blameless post-mortems and it's great to hear someone talk about that for 30 minutes but I can't see anyone actually doing it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think, I think what you have to figure out is, I'm trying to think of some, some uh, clever phrasing for this. But you know, y you have to figure out like your, uh, your, like your scope, right? And 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 I think you know within your your uh, your your mortems of safety, right? <laughs> like, of course, you know, your one's friends. You don't want to blame people. What you want to do is like figure out what went wrong and uh fix it and try to make sure it doesn't happen again right i mean that's i think i think you know that's the 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 layperson's like thing of a blameless postmortem is what you're trying to avoid is that like we keep doing these dumb things over and over again because we can never discuss stopping doing dumb things because no one will admit they do dumb things we right. shouldn't even call them dumb things right <laughs> well, and but... and 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 so like if you scope it down to that that's fine right but where things get like weird is like 
you've got to make sure that like, you know, you don't invite an asshole to your blameless postmortem, like especially an asshole with power. And but, because like no one like you just so so I, I think you just have to make sure that it's scoped at the right thing. And maybe if you're lucky, you can do it at the entire company. But you've always got to be leery of like, you know, I may not work at like a nice place. And I need well, to that, that, that's the whole cool. like difference, though, is is businesses generally are not like, let's hire as many assholes as we can who are here to tear down our business. Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that full stop. And then if you if you play that out in your head, you're like, oh, yeah, these guys who, you know, they're trying to stop government for paying for health care, government for keeping an eye on our utilities while, you know, the people right, who right. finance those assholes are, are, are making sure that, you know, they're extracting rent out of everybody who lives in this broken system. Maybe we just, you know. Blameless postmortems aren't going to fit this this use case. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, on the Texas thing for sure, but I, I'm just, I guess, I'm kind of just saying, like, I think you can see it well in a big event like this. But I, I guess I'm going even further. I'm just saying, like, what I see in the the reality of the customers, the clients, my own personal career is like, hey, when there's a big problem, what really happens is somebody eventually has to take the blame. There are consequences. Anything from, you know. A, no promotion, a bad review to getting fired. <laughs> right. And it, and like a, a mark, right. A mark against that person. And then at that point, it's, it's not that people don't and then talk about how to fix it. It's like, once someone's got stuck with the blame, then, you know, maybe that person is completely gone, right. Maybe that, that group or that they've been reassigned or they're no longer there. Then somebody comes in and like, they will, I mean, they will try to address it and then try to fix it. And like, to me, like, I, I, it's not like I'm advocating for this. I'm not like this is the management theory I think is great. I mean, I enjoy it. I'm just saying I think that's the reality of it. And so every time I hear people talking about the blameless postmortem, sometimes I even think of like I'll see people and I'll see them talking about it and I'll know where they work. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure the place that you work does not implement that culture, right? Like, and if this was so valuable, this is always a question I want to ask at the end. If this is such a valuable thing that you're telling me about and I'm sure your company doesn't implement it, why aren't you actively working at your company to change that? Mm. Like, wouldn't that be the most valuable thing to do yeah. rather than be giving this, this talk at this conference? Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's like, there was, there's a, there's a good, uh, the, one of the, the most recent conversations with Tyler, he has a CEO of some Bitcoin startup. Brian Armstrong, I think is his name. Sounds like he's gets the kind of emails that we get about, uh, you know, CEOs should come and talk to you about uh, whatever. It's like. but, <laughs> but at some at some point, you know, as always, Tyler asked this uh, very uh, trenchant. That's a word I'd like to try to use question where he's like, oh, you know, you espouse all this distributed uh, trust. And, and it, he doesn't he's not being an asshole to use our word. But, you know, you, you espouse all this distributed decision making and uh, kind of like stuff and say that the monetary things could be run like this and governments and whatever. And yet you run your company like a normal command and control company. So your response, I mean, I rephrased it completely, <laughs> but it is, it is an interesting thing to ask people like, do, are, do you follow these practices? And, and we're back to the hypocrite thing. Right. Well, uh, I just, I just want to recommend, we'll put that link in the show notes. I heard that same interview and to Tyler Cohen's uh, credit, like he nails him down. He, he, he basically gets them to say there's no answer to that question. And then he follows up with one of the greatest questions I, I, I've ever heard. And it was very simple. It was like, you post all these values, but all these values are all the same oh, yes. things your competitors say. So like, why are you unique? Like, what's really different? And he even tells them, don't be humble. Tell me why you are great. 
and that is a massive, like, I just felt like, uh, the, I think his name is Brian, right. It was just stumbled all over the place. And it was the ultimate yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Like I would love to see, um, any CEO that espouses like a strong culture and names values, try to answer that same question and not because he doesn't, the thing I really like Tyler Cohen is he, he does not let him off, but in like a super nice way. I can never do that. Like he, you know, he's yeah, in for the yeah. kill and he's just like, I've cornered you. I'm now going to walk to the next question. And he does it in a yeah. very nice way. So I, he, I don't know. He's, I mean, he's, he's like a, uh, an intellectual sportsman. You know, you talk to yes. those hunters who are just like, yes. it's not about like killing creatures. It's just about the sport. Yes. I, I have, I have no bloodlust about it or any sort of like, it's pure sport. And he, uh, yeah, no, I wrote a whole uh, little section in my book after listening, hearing that about visions and, you know, vision and values and stuff. I think it was, it was a good response. His, uh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it's like, uh, I keep cutting off Matt cause I know he's going to make good points, but like, <laughs> I, I think it's like all these thought technologies, like as long as you scope it to the right situation, it's good. And I think it's also like, it's particularly galling in galling is the wrong word, but like the idea of blameless postmortems is particularly attractive in technology and engineering situations, because we in this industry all know that like many of the errors are not like done on purpose. Right. It's just, it, it literally is as this, this, uh, this, um, what's the word, this culture of, of people like point out is like, it's complicated and you built the system of the system wrong. Right. Like, right. You, you, and, you, and that, it's like, you know, you're you, assuming you for, good intention, you know, yeah, even yeah, if it's, yeah. you're in a complicated system and that that's where right. blameless postmortems make sense. Cause it's like, you know, right. we could say that, you know, Cote's shut down the firewall rules, but who's letting Cote adjust firewall rules. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. We're not looking... I, I think from what I understand of the ERCOT situation, right. Like the other thing is like us arguing against blameless postmortems doesn't fix the problem the same problem still happen right like it's 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 not like it's it's not a you know like from i i heard on another podcast someone explaining like the ERCOT thing and like in 89 or sometime that you know there are several reports with recommendations that this exact thing would happen and you know you'd have to spend however many millions of dollars and you know same thing as always happens we're like spend millions of dollars no. we're fucking texas yeah. no no how about not it was and then yes so, bad. so you know the uh, I don't know what this genre of thinking is, but the uh, the the like you know cold-hearted economists would be like, well, I I guess you got what you wanted, like right. you had that money to spend yeah. on other things, and go. you were willing to put up with this, and so I, like. I, 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 yeah, you know, I mean that's that's and Rick you, Perry's angle. He's like, see, the system's working. I will, yeah, I, I, I mean, you could also the run. Thing could, I just want to throw. You could out also one. run the. You could run the money and say like a ten percent return on that money we would have spent over the decades since it. then. Doesn't matter. Was oh, it no. actually like? How does this? I'm, measure? I'm with you, Cote. We're not brushing our teeth. You can't that's tell right. us what to do. <laughs> you should, I said, call, exactly. ask me. You should have asked me on Tuesday what I would have paid to not been in the situation. It was significant, <laughs> and I took a quick uh -huh. poll of the people I know. It was a lot of money, and of course, now we're all going to try to buy generators. So the cost. Oh yeah, yeah. But the that's question good. I want to ask. So this Power is maybe wall. the final. We can wrap on uh, the postmortem here, but I, I think this is just a great case study of it. So won't go into the whole detail. We'll just say that Citibank accidentally wired nine hundred million dollars to uh, one of the lenders, borrowers in this complicated transaction. The long, the long, all the creditors. Yeah. So yeah. the very long story to this is 
There's a very antiquated interface, which they actually put a screenshot in the show. And what oh, happens no. is because um, it, because they had so many people to pay that there wasn't a way to do it. It's just, so it's just kind of one by one. So what you have to do is you put in the whole transaction and then you essentially assign like dummy accounts. You actually don't wire it. You just say wire it to this like dummy thing and it doesn't actually wire the money. So in the UI, which is horrific, I mean, we've seen some bad UIs, but I don't even know what this thing is. The person basically didn't, and I mean, in this case, it is a checkbox, right? He didn't like do like, you know, check, like go to the, the dummy accounts. Don't, he don't, left, don't blame him. Don't he blame left him. the this real is... accounts in, right? <laughs> so he left the real accounts in, the money got wired. And through this long court case that we, you can go to uh, see our friend, Matt Le, uh, Le, Levine or Levine right over at Bloomberg. He writes it all up, but he says uh, the money went through the people didn't give it back. They went to court and it turns out to get to keep it, right? So yeah. so in this case, literally this mistake is $900 million. You don't get any more classic here. So like, like this is a great example. Like who is going to get blamed here, right? Like I don't think you can say, because when you really walk through it, you're like, anyone can make the mistake on this UI. It is so easy yes. to make. Like anyone could have, even though- you, you, should sh you should share your screen and show this UI. <laughs> I guess I could. Here okay. Yeah. Well, my whole point is like, anyone could make the mistake. So it's like, yeah, you can definitely blame the guy for making the mistake, but you're like, it's in almost like, it's almost amazing and it hasn't happened more, right? So there's that. Or you can blame the person who said that it was okay to keep using this UI. You could blame the person that actually developed the UI and then you can go even further back and just say like the entire business process of, you know, the way these <laughs> loans are constructed, you can blame them, but like someone's getting fired. Like, I think multiple people are getting fired over this and that seems like yeah. the right outcome here. This, right? this UI I, I is bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is a good question. Let, let's see, you know, in order to do this, I, it's always good to recast things in terms of death. When you're trying to think on, on as as our friend Tyler would Micro say, Morts. on, on yeah. the margins. So, yeah. like, if if there was a UI that caused, like, what would how would how would well, there's all sorts of ways softwares. If there was a UI that caused, like, you know, uh, people's IV drips to not work nationwide all of a sudden, and like, you know, tens of thousands of people died, like, who would be the people that were blamed? Like, and and it seems like you know, the ones who are responsible, you know, in a situation like that, and I would imagine from what bankers tell me of regulation, there's a lot of like compliance checks and regulatory stuff and like all those processes you go through. So, but it's hard because it is a, there's not any one person. And, and you know, I would think this is a reversal from being the jerk I was earlier. Like, it seems like, it seems like this is a true situation where someone has, obviously someone's going to get fucked. So we'll just put that aside. Like that's that's going to happen over nine hundred yes. million dollars. But like, like also, what needs to happen is like, oh right, software, right? Like we need to like I as the business <laughs> owner should probably maybe once a year sit down and use the software that like is paying Ooh, for my yeah. Manhattan, like you know house, right? Like, well, but 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 and it's, like it's I not... I should in in the same way that like. I would imagine our, our friend Jassy is going to lots of distribution centers now to like see what's up with that, right? Like the kind of, what is it called? Like a, a, a gimbal walk. I always mix that up with like, how do you say uh, shrimp in uh, Spanish, gambon or whatever? Like, you know, you, you should go out and see all of the, uh, what's going on out in your business that's supporting that you're in charge of. And similarly, right? Like 
like you should probably check out the software people are using and like make sure that uh, it's rational and makes sense. So, I mean, ultimately, the owner of that business is probably the one who's responsible because like the way they're compensated should I bet they would argue when they're arguing for their pay that there's a huge risk they carry. So they need just like a loan has to have a huge interest rate. If it's given to a risky person to take on that amount of risk, I deserve to be paid 5,200 times. Normal there you salary. go. You, you just you just explained executive salaries for us. <laughs> right, right. And and so like, you know, so that that's an easy fall person. But yeah, no, it's a good example of count, exactly what we're talking about. It's like, oh, yeah, you just need to re-engineer the whole, like, any, your whole software process, probably bad. Like, yeah, I mean, looking at this UI is, I'm guessing, I mean, it's clearly a Win32 app. That's is, not Swing, is it, right? Or is it Swing? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like no, no, no. It feels like a Swing. No, you're right, because it's, it's got the little nubbies on the scroll bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah that is swing, a Swing app, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly, that is right? A, and then, that so is you can amazing. actually see the number there, right? You see the 300 million they put in and you know, we'll see if I can put this in the show notes or in the uh, the episode everyone listening, you can just look down to see it. So, yeah. so I don't yeah. I mean, I guess in the end, right? It's it's I I guess I what I'm advocating for is just more like I'm not sh- like the answers I I may not have it, but I'm pretty sure like I feel like the blameless post-mortem path is a dead end, right? Like it's probably better to just assume like yes, there are going to be huge consequences when these mistakes are made. So you, as the business leader, you, while it's going to be extremely yeah, difficult for yeah. you to fight for resources to re-architect the Java Swing uh, file mortgage payoff app, like at some point, that's on you. You're, that's why I'm paying you that money. It's like you're going to have to advocate for it, and you're going to have to make it happen. Because yeah. if you don't, you're getting fired. And you need to always be yeah. thinking about that yeah. behind the scenes. And don't be thinking about a blameless postmortem. Think about where the highest risk is. And then you got to be the guy, the person to make the change in that organization. And if people aren't doing that, you're going to hold them responsible. And they're probably yeah, going to yeah. be out. That seems to mirror like the world we well, live in. But- but but that that's the opposite end is you know now you're in the COIA postmortem. You can be the guy who's like, look, I told you all that swing up was 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 crap, and you should have replaced it. And then this happened. They're still gonna fire you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. I you know I I think I think in a situation like this, the the postmortem means after you've killed the person that was responsible, exactly. and after yeah. after, so after you, their death, you put things in place. And I and I think. I, I mean that is, that is the thing you're trying to avoid in this situation and the ERCOT one is it's almost as if like well unless there's something crazy going on the programmers who wrote this are not the ones to fire right oh, it's, no. It, it's, no. it's 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 as if because of the power problems in Austin you went and found all the the line workers and fired them just like exactly. I don't know they're the ones who touch the energy oh, right no. and it's, exactly. and it's exactly and it's just like, well, yeah, and that, that... I, I feel that way about ERCOT, right? right I mean, because right. ERCOT's job is to be like the arb- arbitrators of, of, you know, sharing this energy. It's like, well, when it's all gone, you know, it's like, uh, sorry, guys, we're out of soup, right? Mm-hmm. And there's just nothing they can do, you know, because they bad. were, to, to your other they point. were dug a hole and told, you know, yeah, they keep digging. No, and I think you're right. And I think, you know, maybe this is what I don't ever see anyone talk about. And it's like, what, what if you're just forget about like, you're the business leader, you're just an individual contributor working in this business unit, or maybe you're a mid-level management. I think the advice I would always give, you know, and I think this would like take Boeing, Boeing is another you know place that had a lot of issues with their airplanes recently. But all of this is the same. It's like, I think as someone just working, it's like, you always need to be taking stock of the risk in the organization and the company and the products that you're working on. 
And there is a point, right, where you're like, you look at this and you see the risk and you're probably not going to be able to change it, right? You're, you can write the memo, you can be the squeaky wheel, you can try to be an agent of change, but there's probably, like, I'm sure they're going to find a bunch of people that said this should be changed and it shouldn't. And really your best option at that point is to move on, right? Like that is, I mean, that's sort of a very difficult thing to say, but it's sort of like, I feel like that is often where people need to find themselves. Like, Hey, if I'm running this app and I see that this mistake can be made, probably best to get away from working on this and yeah, try to find sure. something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a section in my, in my, uh, my book I haven't, or I'm sorry for O'Reilly people, my report, uh, that, that I haven't written yet. And, and it's, uh, like this is informing that in the sense of one of the problems you have with, you know, changing people to the happy land of, you know, product management and DevOps and all that is like a lot of what you're doing is asking them to take on a lot of new responsibility, uh, which is like, like if someone asked me to take on responsibility for this app we're looking at here, right? Like that would have been a bad career decision on my part, <laughs> right? And so, and so but, like- but You were probably too junior to know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, so, so it's sort of like, if you're trying to set up teams of people who kind of own the app, they have the responsibility, and which is the other side of having autonomy and creative, creative agency, right? Like having that kind of like, this no. ownership of it, like, there's, the, no, there's no autonomy and creative agency, when you are holding a, a swing app from 1999. Exactly, exactly. So, so that's, that's an issue of, of sort of like, and then, and then, to, to make the problem worse, like this is exactly the kind of software that you need to fix, right? As, yes. as proven. And so like you're in this, it's not paradoxical. What is it? You're in this, this, this system of, of what's the opposite of a flywheel, like a shit wheel, like you're in this shit wheel <laughs> situation where like the software is so bad that you really need to update it, but it's also so bad that no one wants to touch it or take on the responsibility. Yes better right and so yeah i don't know i mean this this is that's where the consulting dollars are it's like come here my talk at legacy conf right yeah yeah yeah. no i agree it's like some (laughs) kind of it really is like a legacy spiral problem it's like when the when it gets further and further down to the point like you're on the verge of you know whatever metaphorical death in your application like what do you do right because i do think this is i think there's a lot more of it like we're picking on this application, but I'll be honest with you. Like, I've, I mean, well, I don't know. If, have I seen worse? Maybe I haven't seen worse, but I've I seen, have. I've seen bad. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> not, not, not that nine hundred million dollars worse though. Right? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I mean, I think to make the point, like, at least they have an application. Exactly. Right? It could have like, just been I'm, a command sure. line. <laughs> at least yeah, it's right. not a green screen. Yeah, right? it could have been a green yeah, screen. Yeah, it could have yeah, just yeah. been a command line script that one random person wrote that isn't even under source control, and it just oh, does the, the things. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that's galling about this, if you're like, you know, have ever been a programmer is you're just like, oh, if only I just had a weekend, <laughs> you, you just, you're just like, you're just like, you know, I mean, Brandon probably knows enough objective C that he could just like write something. And like, you know, the, the hardest thing would just be like getting whoever owns whatever wacky backend system to like, let, let you, you use and it, it and right? mocking it all out. Yeah. I mean, and, yes. th- and then, you, and then you would also have to ask someone like, "What does DFL FTC mean?" And they'd be like, "I don't know. No one's filled that out for 15 years." And you'd say, "Oh, oh <laughs> I don't know. okay. I don't know oh, where yeah. this is." But and this the guy, does... the guy who wrote this, died in 2016. But this does right? seem like we could fix this in like you know this, the metaphor weekend is like I can't remember which uh, person did it, but I think it was like one of the major outages was 
you know, they wanted to change what five servers and they changed like 5 million or something like that. And the way that they did it, they just made it on the command line. They just, they make you actually type in the number, right? Like, yeah. Are, yeah. so yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's no yes, no. It's do you want to transfer $300 million to such and such bank? And then you have to type in the exact amount. And then you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. verify. I have and stuff like, you like could that every just now throw then. that on this instead of having the, the, uh, the pop-up yes, no, yeah, except. They um, probably lost the source to the app by now. Probably, but I, I'm just saying, like you could do, but but I do think this is the whole thing. Like sometimes people will be like, if you walked in, you're like, we need to re-architect, we need to like you know make up microservices and throw in Kubernetes. It's like okay, yeah. like maybe we eventually do that. But you know what we're also going to do is we're going to throw up this one box right this minute, like yes. in the next week, and it's going to reduce the potential. Uh, if you will, I'm not looking the yes, yes, yes error by like 90, 99%, right? Because you have to yeah. type in the exact number. So, I it, mean, sometimes like digital transformation. It doesn't have to be Kubernetes. I yeah. mean, I, I really think there is a modernization play here of just taking your old Java app and rewriting it in Java again. <laughs> right. But, <you laughs> but, even, but, but throwing a better UX on it. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's the whole thing. It's like we could look at this and be like, there's probably, you know, there's probably like a one-week answer, which is like, let's just make the dialogue, make them type it in. Then there's probably a, a two-month answer, which is a nice fresh UI just on top, a layer on there. And then there's the longer, right? You know, let's get you all set up and you know, make it some type of event-based architecture so you can use it in other places, yeah. right? Now, now, yeah. now let me, let me, that one, I, I think, I think in this discussion, I've come around to the, the, the Matt Ray nice guy position, right? Because I got two, two comments. One of them is, you know, hopefully there's at least some, some desire to think like, I mean, this, this is, maybe this is a good example of it because like, it really is hard to find someone to like rationally blame, Right. Like, like when it comes to neglect, it's hard. It's sometimes hard to find who's responsible for that because I don't know, like there's not there's there's no one really responsible for user experience success. Like and even that would be absurd. It's such a complex, big system with so many people that holding one person accountable doesn't make sense. So, you know, maybe the assumption that we should all in this situation, we should all just assume that. We would like to be employed next week. Let's just fix this and go on with our life. Well, somebody who I, I want to possibly forgive, I don't know, um, is uh, Red Hat. Um, <laughs> there was a, an interesting post uh, that was put up about CentOS uh, from Phil Dibowitz, who's a former Facebook engineer, uh, pretty active in the, uh, for those of you who don't know, Facebook's a big company, and uh, they run a lot of CentOS. And uh, Phil posted an article uh, called CentOS Stream, Why It's Awesome. And I actually came around to agreeing with him after reading it. He, he talked about trying to get a one-character patch into Red Hat uh, upstream as a CentOS user. And essentially, it took about a year. And it was, you know, a, you know maybe not a security bug, but it was a, a, a serious enough bug that, you know, he he kept up the effort and he pointed out the new CentOS uh, stream is kind of in parallel to Red Hat. And so uh, patches that go into CentOS go into Red Hat's QA as well. The, everything gets hammered the same amount and CentOS stream will carry the same sorts of patches that would eventually have gotten into Red Hat. Mm. And so the idea is that instead of waiting for something to be completely checked off by Red Hat, and possibly getting his one character patch a year later, 
he would still be running the same Red Hat software. It will still go through all the same Red Hat QA processes, but because it's CentOS Stream, he can get access to it potentially earlier. So it's not, they're not like the Fedora of Red Hat. Uh, they're more like the testing bed for, you know, patches that will eventually go into Red Hat. So yeah. it, it, it seems better than, uh, than I thought it would be. That, that, seem, that seems like one of those like uh, using, I mean, that sounds good. First of all, but it seems it seems like <laughs> to, to to generalize, it seems like one of those applications of like economics thinking in a different domain, where like where like previously you had one system, right? Like you had one way of getting patches in that took a really long time and mm-hmm. was like super. I wasn't. I was going to say awesome, but super like um, perfect, right? And so like that's all you could get. That's all you could buy. Whereas like, I guess this is disruption theory that I'm about to go over. Whereas if you have a, uh, a cheaper, lesser functional in the uh, functional on the axis of perfect, um, there's a need for that too. So you kind of have like market segmentation of, uh, of the, what are they, what's the word, the hardening of the OS that you have? Like, you know, it would be a hundred percent perfect if I waited a year to do all the testing but I'm like 90% sure it's cool and I would rather have yeah. it now. Like, but I think that comes, that, that, that's the gist of it. Yeah. But having read yeah. that article, it's, I mean, credit to him. Like, I think he paints a use case that makes sense. And like, yes, in this, that his, can, his situation in that specific instance, I could see why that was better. But I guess it just kind of comes back to the fundamental contract. There's lots of people who are just like, no, I want to run the stable thing that has none of oh, these yeah, changes. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I want the stable thing and back too. That's what I'm saying, but I, I just kind of get like, there's always a time where it's like, no, that one character uh, patch actually had unintended consequences that um, that really lead to significant problems. And I, as someone that you know either didn't care about it or really wanted stability, I don't want that, right? And I think, this, so it kind of comes back to, I'm not saying what, what uh, there aren't value in what they're doing. I think it's the fact that they took the other thing away. Yes, right? I'm, I'm still, really, still against that. Totally. I, I see more right. value in, in CentOS streams than I did before. I yeah. still want both. I, what I want, what I want, you know, which I guess you're going to get now with Rocky OS or whatever the, the other one is, is the ability to say, I'm running, you know, the equivalent of the old CentOS, which is just the clone of Red Hat without, you know, without anything different. And then when I have that patch, I guess I'll have to switch over to streams until it gets back into the full upstream yeah. and spits out. But I think Rocky that in the world we're both, and maybe we'll be there in a weird way. And I think, you know, and maybe that was, you know, I, at the end, right. I think Red Hat's just sort of like, Hey, this, we're taking this away and this is better where it's like, no, you just can't do that. Like if they had said, Hey, Give we're going to do both. Right. And we're going to keep them around for a while and we're going to see what, and we'll see kind of where the market goes. That's, that's a totally different thing. So so I understand where the frustration comes from. The people are like, I, I had what I wanted and you changed it on me. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that, you know, we talked about all the, the open source licensing hoo-ha for the past two years. And I, I, think, I think the lesson that we have cemented, and we might need to get someone to go write a book about it, is that like this like open source stuff is, is as capricious as closed source stuff. <laughs> Like, it's, it's, no. but it's out in the open. Yeah, yeah. There, but there's it's no, open. yeah, like, that's true. But it's open. Th- th- things will go back and forth. Things will get dropped. Whatever. Like, there's no just because it's open source doesn't mean like anything. Yeah. And and, but, and, and with, with regard to like 
long-term stability of, of staying the same, right? Things can flux around and, and whatever, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think the general principle is exactly what you two are saying is like, you have to uh, don't take things away. That's I, I think, was it Joshua Block who codified that as like the heart yes. and soul of Java is like, you can never delete a method <laughs> on an API. That's like, that's like the fundamental principle. So you can't ever take something away. Right. Right. Well, uh, you know, do we have any administrative bureaucracy to go over, Brandon? We do. Just a couple quick things here. One, I uh, sent some stickers to Sean in Ohio. I think that was before all the snow. So hopefully they actually got there. And also uh, Andy, he was in uh, the Software Defined Talk Slack, and he posted a job. So he wants you to work at Bookings Live as a DevOps engineer. And that job is uh, UK-based, but it sounds like you can work anywhere in the UK. So if you're looking for that type of job, what you should do you should join the Software Defined Talk Slack, go in the jobs channel, ask Andy about the job, and he'll tell you more about it. And, of course, if you would like uh, a sticker, I've, you know, brought the whole mail system back online. You know, we have the United States Post Office here. They're, they're, they're back at it, so I'm happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. What you need to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I'll get it in the mail for you. Plenty of stickers, plenty of stamps. Oh man, I mean being Americans, we were all raised with the uh the the image of the post office of like when there's a snowstorm, that they're like fucking all about that shit. They just like they'll deliver your mail no matter what. What was it? Rain, snow, sleet or atomic attack that your mail will get delivered. So Something like that. They they must be just like loving this. Uh it's their time to deliver. Uh well, there there's a few conferences as we often mention. There's DevOps Days Texas coming up on March 2nd. And uh, yes, finally, the, the call for papers for spring one is open. I think it's open until April 9th. Uh, you know, I, I help pick talks uh, about agile and meat wary type of stuff. You should submit some talks. It'd be great. I enjoy doing that. And go on, Matt Ray. I was going to say, I, I, I think I'm formulating uh, how to rewrite swing from 1999 talks. <laughs> that would be good. That would be good. We'd have miniature legacy comp uh, presentation. And then also we have, uh, you know, we used to do these little spring tours in person, but we do them online now. So there's there's a North American one uh, coming up on March 10th and 11th. And then I'll be working with uh, several people on the uh, the Europe one, the EMEA one, which is April 28th. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 286, 286, hey, that's the, the second type of computer I owned. Uh, then you can find the dates and links for those conferences and stuff like that. And there's a Slack channel you can join. It's good stuff. We got all that nonsense. Now with that, Matt Ray, what do you have to recommend this week? <laughs> well, I, I, uh, my recommendation this week is uh, an HDMI LCD controller. And you're probably thinking, what the hell does that mean? Go um, on. Go on. <laughs> uh, so it turns out like uh computer monitors, displays, uh, even um, tablets. You know, the, the little displays that they use are, um, they're kind of standard uh, things that you can go and buy uh, in bulk from, you know, Chinese manufacturers or whatever. Um, but you can also go and get controller boards that will plug into them. And so I had a first generation iPad that, uh, oh, I guess the last eight years, I haven't been able to get a dates for iOS. So I was like, it's dead. You know, I, I, I can't use this thing anymore. So I took it apart and got myself an HDMI LCD controller. And now I can use it as an external HDMI monitor. So Whoa. you pop off the back of the iPad or you disassemble that broken laptop. Um, 
de uh, detach the controller from the, uh, the iPad or, or the laptop and plug one of these in, and now you have an HDMI monitor. Um, I tried to build one out of uh, another uh, busted laptop, and I broke it while I was assembling it. So uh, here I am six weeks later. I ordered my part off of uh, Ali, Alibaba, and I now have a, a little tiny 9.1-inch uh, external monitor. So. The perfect size. <laughs> well, it fits a terminal. It fits a terminal quite well. Or my yeah. uh, Audio Hijack Pro. I, I saw some guy early on in pandemic times who hooked up a, a teleprompter-type box for his Zoom calls involving, yes. like, involving like a um, like a car tent done the right way so the reflections would work and you know so that you would always be looking into the camera like that's nice. that's the issue right and see so. uh, maybe maybe i need to move it i've got it on a gooseneck display so maybe i'll put it and it could be my teleprompter yeah for the the next recording i do that see? that was my original idea with with things but it just i didn't couldn't make it work but yeah how yeah. about yourself brandon what do you have to recommend well, I just simply just, you know, Matt Ray, you, you never, you never fail to deliver that one. I just, that is, that's like the most <laughs> Matt Ray recommendation of all time. I was just thinking like, how would I solve this problem? Get on Facebook market, buy like a really cheap HDMI monitor for like 30 bucks and be done with it. I but, built uh, one. <laughs> no, I know you built one and that's, that's why we love it. You so, could do it with the phone too. I, I listen, I have no doubt you will do it with a phone too. So I, we all appreciate it. Matt, right. We all appreciate the hard work here. Um, so I'm just going to recommend, uh, this, uh, documentary I watched on, I think it's, yeah, it's on HBO. It's called fake famous. It's by uh, Nick Bilton. He's, uh, one of the people that's been sort of covering social media for a variety of outlets. He wrote the, uh, I think, uh, hatching Twitter book and all that. So he can take kind of a deep look at kind of all this, um, if you will, the influencer world and, what goes on there. And so, I mean, I think I was pretty familiar with a lot of it, but I learned a lot about, you know, just the level of fakeness that exists inside of that world and um, everything from the followers to the pictures. Like, so it's one of those, like you think, you know, and then you kind of see it all out outlined in a documentary, like, wow, this is really fake. So if you're looking for like, I think it's like 90 minutes, real easy watch, if you're looking for something to watch, check that out on HBO. It's fake famous. Wait. So it's a real documentary about fake stuff. Yeah, he takes three people that have okay, like okay. no, basically no followers or very little, right? And he says, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if we can turn them into influencers." And you know, you, I won't ruin anything. You can go from there. And they, they kind of do it, and they show how they do it. Some of it, you're probably everyone will know, and some of it, you're like, "Oh, I didn't know it was quite that kind of uh, gray uh, a way that things happen." Oh, so right, it's right. kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, well, maybe I'll check that out. Yeah. Well, my recommendation is, uh, you know, thanks to Brandon. I listen to a lot of audiobooks. It's a great way to consume books. And uh, I don't know. I, I I was trying to think how I came up. I don't know uh, how I came to this. But anyways, uh, uh, so I, I've been listening to, uh, I've never listened to any or read any Susan Sontag stuff. She shows up everywhere. I'm probably saying her last name wrong. So Sorry. But uh, I started uh, listening to her first book of essays against interpretation. And listen, listen, it's very, as we would say nowadays, academic. It's so if, if you if you hated uh, English literature, wherever you studied it or anything like that, if you hated the liberal arts, don't, don't listen to it. It's going to drive you crazy. But it's fun. There's a lot of it's there's essays or, you know, things from the 60s and stuff where she's appraising like, uh, culture across like uh, books and cinema and art and cinema. You can tell th the word cinema is used instead of the movies. 
Uh, but you know, it's fun to see the kind of like, uh, I, I have to imagine for that period in time, it's a very representative of like a very new way of talking about cultural criticism and stuff that nowadays we kind of sort of make fun of as too ornate and gilded when you could just like take an Orwellian pin to it or whatever. But if you're into that kind of stuff, it's, I, I was thinking about earlier, it's the equivalent of like, you know, how I'm always going on about how. Oftentimes when I'm listening to or reading Matt Iglesias, I don't really care about the content. I just like to see his mind work and like the way that he like structures an argument. And a lot of it is like that too, right? It's fun to see how she kind of just like how her brain sort of works through an issue that like if I were to look at it, it'd be like, I don't know, it looks like a boring ass fucking play that she manages to write like, you know, 50 pages about it and uh, lace things in. So it's uh, it's 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 fun to see the creation of of criticism is entertainment out of thin air as if snow were forming out of the humidity in the the frozen air so with that as always this has been software defined talk you can find the show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 286 press the turbo button on that one and uh you should go there as well you join the slack channel we try to stream this we record pretty much every thursday for me thursday night at uh, 10 or 10 30 p.m that's different times and different time zones. That's how they work. Uh, but you can go over, uh, if you go to Software Defined Talk, you can find a link to our Twitch thing to watch us record it live where there's additional content that we edit out. Uh, so with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. I have, I have questions. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll send you, once, once we're done, we'll send you uh, a fact that we have about, no, 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 no. I'm like, no. No, the, I have the typical Kote question, which is, I want you to answer all the questions I don't know I should be asking you.